How Dylan would sound yeah, doing really, you. You looked at me and cried. Now that's not Dylan. Who does that sound like? Yeah, that's someone inside. Oh, that's a Springsteen doing Fusari right there. Um, I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. This is a very special edition of Music Biz 101 and more. Hey. So uh, that was. Is the song still going or is it gone? Oh, it's still going. So that's uh, Rob Fusari's. Uh, don't let love down. Do it. And you, so your song starts every show that we do. That song always. Royalties. And I always, sometimes I speak, sing it. Sometimes I, Springsteen, sing it. Are you uh, paying the uh, ASCAPs? Uh, the, are you ASCAP or are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the station pays ASCAP for your song. That's why you see no money at all from it because of your like tremendous, you. excellent business management on the Rob Fusari. And right there. So Music Biz 101 more. This is uh, uh, Professor David Kirk Philp. We have our engineer, Ashley Veltner. Ashley Veltner. Ashley. Ashley. Yes. yes, good to have you, Ashley. She's a student. This is spring break at William Patterson University, and she's here on her break doing this. And one could say that I'm here on my break, too, making things happen, Robbie. That's right. Uh, your professor, I'm sorry, your doctor, Esteban Marconi, is on assignment. I think he's in Costa Rica because it's spring break. Am I taking his place for good now? <laughs> yes, you are the new co-host. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're new uh, Esteban Fusari. Fusari. So uh, that's his. Uh, we'll talk about Rob in a sec. Uh, we have a, a number of tweet questions for you as oh. we go, Rob. So we're going to do a, a Rob intro shortly. Make sure, by the way. If you're listening, go to musicbiz101wp.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter where you get two emails a week. So it's sort of weekly, but two times during the week. That's not bi-weekly. Bi-weekly is every other week. So what would be twice during the same week? <laughs> is that an answer? <laughs> I don't yeah, the answer is Zool. <laughs> you know it's Zool if we're talking about the 80s. So that's from uh, Ghostbusters. That was uh, the, the 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 big uh, Zool, right? Yeah, the big thing that guy. No. yeah, that who Rick Moranis, right? In uh, Ghostbusters and um, Sigourney Weaver, mm. they were. <laughs> yeah, that means she was attractive. <laughs> yes, they were both worshiping the god of called Zool so or something. Right. And there we go. So Pretty that's good, uh, the there ball. we go. And, and you brought that up. That's the thing. Rob, you sorry, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Uh, what's going on? There we go. Okay. So follow us Instagram, Twitter. Face of the book at Music Biz 101 WP. And Ashley Weltner is going to be doing some live streaming on Instagram of this on the WP Music Department Instagram account. What is it, Ashley? Is it WP underscore music depth, D E P T? What is that account? WP. Here she comes. Here she comes. All right, Ashley. 
Well, on Instagram, it's WP Music Dept, D E P T. There we go. WP Music D E P T. If you want to see some live streaming happening here, we're going to be doing some stories on our Instagram, the Music Biz 101 WP. This, what we're listening to now, not just Robbie's song, but our talking, will also be a podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, hopefully by the end of the week. So there's that. We want to give some thanks. Thanks to. The folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puff, Dave Matthews, Kith. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com at the best time for you. Maybe one day Robbie will go there. We want to thank Ruby's Travel. Because, Rob, we have this our big 80s show. I want my 80s best of MTV's ladies happening April 6th. Yes? What's up? That's right. That's right. There's nothing up. And uh, you are our music director for that. And we have who? Everybody's doing great. They're doing great. See. That's right. They're, they're happy to see you, too. And uh, so who is our big, 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 besides you, headliner for the oh, show? Oh, we got Taylor Dane Taylor coming Dane. through. That's right. To perform some of the hits. That's right. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's going to be great. And she's coming here because... Of a local travel agent, Ruby's Travel. What's up, Ruby? What's up, Ruby? How you feel? You're going to be like Street this whole like two hours show. You're just going to Rob, how you doing? The What's whitest, up? Whitey Street guy. There's Livingston, New Jersey, right <laughs> there for out. you. It's coming right out of your pores. So Ruby's Travel, because of her, we're getting Taylor to fly here. We're getting her uh, some hotel. And also Chris Butler from The Waitresses. So that's all because of Ruby and Ruby's Travel. So if you ever want to go anywhere like Costa Rica with Dr. Esteban Marconi, Ruby's Travel is our gal. Ruby. Right now she's actually in Amsterdam. Where is Amsterdam? Oh, is that the Netherlands? Something. <laughs> and, we're, and it's funny that we bring up the Never, Netherlands or Neverlands because uh, the Netherlands tie in directly to your career. And I will tell you how in a minute. Wait a minute. Wasn't Peter Pan from the Netherlands? He, that was... Uh, like Peter Pan and Michael Jackson together had never land, oh, never but that was a ranch, and that's a dressing you put on your uh, iceberg. <laughs> so there's nothing up with Peter Pan today. Columbia Bank, thank you. Sprint, thank you. To our th uh, thanks go out to Christine Vey, who's a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals way past the university to manage their investments to plan for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, have you ever retired, Rob? You ever retired before? I have a couple times. A number of times you have retired, <laughs> and then you get another hit. Or if you have questions on anything from investments, portfolio management, to insurance, retirement planning, you need to give Christine a call at, repeat after me, Robert, 732. 732. 455. 1510. That's right. Um... I'm told, uh, Ashley, that we can't hear Rob that well. There we go. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Jane, for the, for the text. The I know. And you could also email Christine, <laughs> Christine at Vay, V-A-Y, Elf, sorry, Wealth.com. You have good health, good financial health, and email Christine at Vay, Wealth. That's trying that to wrap right now. I know. <laughs> that was going it took far too long to get that through. By the way, Rob, have you ever seen Managing Your Band 6th Edition? I've seen it. But you haven't touched it, have you? Yes, I have. Oh, you have? I have a copy. Come Did you get now. a copy? The sixth well, you edition? You me up. By Marconi? Did yes, I give you yes, one? I have one. I could have charged you, but I gave you yeah, one. Yeah, you hooked I, me up There are on no that. royalties for me on that. I have so, it. okay. After all the times I bought Goo Delicious, I bought 50 <laughs> copies of that eight track. Yeah, dude. You know, you got all that, that from me. Okay, so. And finally, we want you to go to I Want My 80s, the best of MTV's ladies. Friday, April 6th, here at William Patterson University, Shea Center for Performing Arts. 
We're going to have warm-up acts from the School of Rock, starting a little bit after 7. The student band Sweet Dreams, of which Rob is the uh, music director. We're taking the stage at 7.30. We mentioned Taylor Dane. What's up? Come on out. DMC. Do it. Mark Goodman. That's what I'm saying. MTV Lori Majeski. Jeez. And Rob Fusari. What's up? Rob in the house. There we go. So here's a little background on Robert Fusari, who I've been calling you Fusari for many years. And even your mother says it's Fusari. So that is. It's all debatable. It is. It is. So a little background on So No, No, No was a song that you co wrote. Correct? This is correct. Yes. Uh, for Destiny's Child, it hit number three on the Billboard Top 100. It hit number three in the Netherlands also. Bootalicious was a number one hit in the U.S. that you co-wrote with Beyonce. Uh, and it was also number one in the U.K., but only hit number three in the Netherlands. Oh, come on, Netherlands. So they're not supportive. What's going on They're over not there? supportive. Wild Wild West for Will Smith was another number one for you. Thanks to Stevie Wonder. It's all, on, that Steve. was all Stevie Wonder, by the way. That's you had nothing to do with that. Stevie hooked us up on that. Yes, he did. Shout and, out to um, Stevie. But now. that was only number two in the Netherlands. Oh, Netherlands, so again, whatever. They're, they're not going to love <laughs> whatever, you. Whatever, Netherlands. You're done with me. You're done. Paparazzi. What's going on? Only hit number six in the U.S. Whatever. So you, you had totally got, you had gone cold by then. Uh, but it only reached number four in the Netherlands again. Where'd you get these numbers from uh, something called Wikipedia. They don't know. That's where I get on. all no. my democratic no. uh, why, emails. Why wiki? No, I, wiki, no wiki. <laughs> I know. Wiki, wiki, wow, wow. <laughs> so if you're not a Dutch country, you're a big deal. If we went into the Netherlands right now, nobody's heard of you. We walk so out could, of the studio, I could hide out and you're going to be hounded. Yes, you, that's when you're there. witness protection. Okay. That's where you're going. So you won a Grammy Award for Lady Gaga's The Fame. You've written and toured with Martin Fry and ABC, respectively. You've also gone out with Macy Gray. Yes. Um, I want to ask you, though, I've never asked you this question. Um, when you won the Grammy for The Fame, ah. did you go to the Grammys that year? Were you, did you go on stage and pick it up? Were no, I did not. No, I was home, cozy oh, on that was, was That was after the, uh, uh, after the split fame. up. Sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. But that's okay. not why I didn't go. I just, you know. You didn't want to go? I like watching the TV and really? like, yeah, get the whole picture. Interesting. Oh, okay. No, I didn't go. Oh, okay. Not my thing. Not my Do scene. Do they call you? So are you a Grammy voter? Do you grant uh, because you won a Grammy? So are you, are, are you in the RIAA? I can vote. Uh -huh. I haven't, but I can. Right. That's, that's you know, the American like, thing. That's you American have the ability way. to vote, but you're not going to. It's like I don't vote. I just don't vote. Right. Because okay. I don't vote. All right. So because of you, Trump is president. So right, basically. Good, good job there, Rob. Thank you. Okay. So what we're doing today is we're going through songs that influenced you from the 1980s because there's that tie into our 80s show. Yes. So the songs that, that uh, most influenced you in your career. Before we get to the 80s songs, I want to ask you just a generic, if there is one song ever, like the biggest, most baddest, awesomest song that you think was ever written that mostly influenced you in your whole life. From the 80s or just... Any, any era. 50s, 30s, 20s. Uh, how Deep Is Your Love? It would be, how Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees. Yeah. Why? I don't... I can't tell you why. I don't know if the words exist that could, that could grasp it. It's something... You know, I had a dream about this song one night mm -hmm. years ago. And I woke up just a changed person. I, it was just... I don't know what it was... The song, like, you know, I, I, songs don't play in my dreams. I've never heard songs or, or not, I don't dream much, actually. Um, but there was something about that song, the harmonies. It just took me, it just 
every time I hear it, it takes me to a different place. It's 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 unexplainable. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but you if that came on right now, it's almost like I would melt. I'd be like, you like, where Rob go? I'd be like on the floor, like <laughs> drooling. Yeah. Like I I don't know what it. There's just you know certain things just hit you in life, and and you can't you can't put in put it into words. And that's what's one of those songs, man. It's just that's. If I was on an island, I'll, I'll take that song if I have to take one song. Right, okay. And it's great. I can sort of get it. I mean, it's a great song. It starts with those lush, layered harmonies and the sort of mellow 70s right. keyboard thing. And then Barry's singing. And uh, and, so yeah. a lot, and a lot of the chord changes I use, you know, in a lot of my tunes, like, are, are taken from the BG stuff. Major sevenths, you know, to the minor seventh. I, I do a lot of that stuff. Pop Rots even has some of that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So even the even the changes, the major key of how deep is your love, but feeling somewhat sad still, for lack of a better word, it, it feels, you know, this, this kind of longing. You know, we, people think, okay, major key is going to be a happy song and, you know, uh, up and poppy, but... The Bee Gees were were so genius in taking major keys and making them almost feel sad. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another thing that you know. I even spoke to uh, you know to Gaga after we had written Paparazzi, and we were both like, you know, this is so strange because it's in a major key. It's got all the elements of a kind of an up feeling, you know, vibe. But there's something that we both said felt very kind of like longing, and there was a sadness to it, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of of a better word. And I think that was taken from that that Bee Gees kind of vibe. Right. Okay. It's, it's funny. I was in a, speaking of the Bee Gees, where was it? I was in a store a week ago and I heard Samantha Sang do, uh, I think it's Emotion. Emotion, yeah. And, uh, which is from Saturday Night Fever, right? Or was that just a single? Because that's with the Bee Gees. I'm not sure that's from Saturday Night Fever. It's just emotion yeah. that's seeking me I don't think it's over. from Saturday Night Fever. That, no? Yeah, but okay. No, I think it's just but it's that era, I guess, 77, yeah, yeah, yeah. 78. Yeah. And um, that's, a, again, such a lush. They, they like, yes. kill that song. with. So so when we were listening, before this, we were at Manhattan Bagel, and we were uh, grabbing a bite, and then this, the Sam Smith song. What's mm. the, the most recent Sam Smith song? The big hit. Um, but that's the song man. I said. If that, The Bee Gees... It's sort of got a right, gospel yeah, back, but the, yeah, if yeah, the Bee Gees were singing the backups, yes. that to me is a Bee Gees yes. song with Sam Very Smith much. on vocal. Very much. So, okay. All right. So, and, so how deep is your love? That's that's good to know. All right. So, um, if we get into the 80s, we're going to, you gave me a list of a bunch of songs in advance, and so we're going to listen to a song now. And uh, it's by ABC. It's The Look of Love. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned a second ago how you had toured with Martin Fry and ABC. So why don't we throw this on, listen to The Look of Love. Then when we come back, you could kind of explain how sure. that influenced you and, sure. and you, uh, how you got connected with Martin Fry and toured with yeah, ABC yeah, sure. about a year ago. Here we go.
They say, Martin, maybe one day you'll find true love. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you get hooked up with ABC? Oh, man. So a few years back, I wanted to do a duets album. You know Frank Sinatra did that duets album? Right. Tony did, Bennett did one. Right. Yeah. And I heard like Frank Sinatra was never even in the studio with those people he did duets with. So anyway, I, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be in the studio with these people. So we... Uh, we started reaching out to some uh, 80s mega stars, if you will. And funny, we, re we actually reached out to, or I should say Jane did, Jane who works with me. Um, she re reached out to Barry Gibb and his, and his folks mm -hmm. about, you know, trying to hook up and do something together. And, and what went, happened? And Barry's like, yeah, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna work Barry's like, yeah, yeah, no. I, yeah. Um, love isn't that deep. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but no, he, Barry had said that he was uh, actually working with his son at that time. Who was uh, he was developing his son to do some stuff. But anyway, one of the people who, uh, amongst others, who did respond um, was Martin Fry from ABC, um, and he took interest. And um, I had went to meet Martin uh, in the city down at the Soho Grand uh, in Lower Manhattan, and. Um, it, for me, it was like it was a dream come true, come true because you know seeing that ABC, that Look of Love video, and listening to ABC all those years and being so inspired and, and influenced by them, it was it was almost surreal for me. So we walked in, and and Martin, you know, he's got this great big personality, warm. He was with his wife. Um, you know, we sat down for a little bit, and you know, I, I had come to realize that Martin really wasn't doing any new music. So he he just kind of he took the meeting kind of out of respect and out of, you know, being courteous. Um, and he was real cool about it, but he, he kind of expressed this whole thing that he wasn't really doing much in terms of new music. Um, so, you know, I was like, all right, great meeting you. But he, but he did say when, when I was leaving, he was like, well, look, if you have any ideas and you want to send me something, I, I, I would listen to it for sure. So needless to say, I went back and I just put together a bunch of ideas that I thought, you know, Martin would, you know, in that like new ABC kind of realm. And I sent it out. Um, to Martin and he, he responded within a couple of days he was like dude like th this stuff he's like I already wrote a song to it th these were tracks just like you know blank slates he's like I already wrote a song to one of these tracks he's like I'm, I'm, I'm in let's do this hmm. so you know we started you know he was kind of doing it for me in terms of I was going to do the, the the duets album which never happened but what, it kind of turned around and he the songs that we had written you know for that duets album he wound up using with ABC and ABC was uh, making a new record um, they, they weren't even signed at that time, but he was just kind of doing like an indie new record. 
he actually took the tunes. He went to EMI, got a new record deal mm -hmm. with the uh, with the tunes that we had did. And um, the, the record came out. It went to it was like number three uh, in England. It, was, it did really well. And then um, when they were going out uh, to support the record on tour, Martin invited me. He said, "Why don't you come, come out on tour, and you know, open up uh, the show? Like do a piano, vocal, do some of the hits, do some of the original stuff." And I was like, "Of course." And then you know, he brought me back on stage as ABC would finish the show and do their encore with "The Look of Love," which we just heard. And uh, I would play guitar and like be dancing around, like playing the look uh -huh. of love, which was like, and then like, you know, people would just go crazy when, when they, when they do that song live. It's like, it's like everyone is standing. It's like, you just see, like, you know, you can see people's faces because uh, they put the lights up and you could just see people's like the joy and what, what like, a song like that does uh, for people live. And it was like, it was, you know, it's something I'll never forget. And that was a tour they had a whole orchestra. With them, they had right? the whole orchestra, so they got the orchestra playing, got the band. There's like 30 piece orchestra. I mean, the place is going nuts. It's, it's. I mean, it was, it was again surreal to say the least. Completely, you know, just one of those highlights of my my career. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, it's just just when you think like you've kind of seen it all, you've done it all. And I was in a place at that time where I'm like, hey, you know, I don't know what I want to do. You know, I, I feel like I've seen and done everything that I wanted to do. Maybe it's time to step out and not do music much anymore. And then this came and I'm like, this is like this kind of like it felt like everything was leading up to this. You know what I mean? In some strange way, which I never would think. But it was like it, all the stuff I had done, you know, with Beyonce and Gaga and everyone else just kind of seemed the, it seemed to, 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 to carve this path, this road that led to that moment you know, opening up for ABC. And I would tell the story on stage um, of the look of love and how, you know, that that inspired me in, in such a way. I remember um, sitting, you know, in my mother's den watching MTV and that record and that, that video would come on and I would just be like, just like in another, it would take me to another world. I, I can't even explain where, where what I would feel and and the, the emotions that would, you know, run through me while that was playing. Because it was orchestral. It was, you know, had this kind of poppy, dark, mysterious thing. It had all these different elements. And it stirred up all these different, you know, creative, you know, juices in me. That I was like, it's kind of, that, that started the whole, the whole process, the whole wheel for me with, with getting into music and, and and performing. And when I told that story on stage, it was, you know, you, you could tell people were like, yeah, they, they got it because I think they felt that same thing, you know, when they when they heard ABC too. I mean, especially you know in England, um, where the tour was like they're kind of like pop royalty, you know, ABC. So it was it was really I mean extra extra incredible. Yeah, I think uh, they came at the perfect time for MTV because I think probably without MTV they wouldn't have broken here. Uh, right. But they had that. They had Be Near Me. Yeah. Uh, what uh, yeah, had Poison Arrow? Poison Arrow, yeah. which was huge. They were yeah. very, very uh, visual. Yeah, you know, and and Martin Fry has this great big, playful, you know, personality that comes through so wonderfully in that in that genre. You know, and then like you said, at that time where pop music just you know you were able to explore you know these different angles on pop music where it could be or orchestral. You know, it could have all these different changes. Like you know, if you listen to as we just did to Look of Love, there's four or five different sections, you know? Right. And it, the, the crazy thing is, is um, Look of Love has only like five chords, mm -hmm. if you broke it down, you know, theoretically. But 
the way that they they play off the chords differently each time makes it feel as though each section is kind of changing and it has this whole different you know mood you know it, go, it goes from this kind of slow kind of broken down thing to this up you know you know a section where the hook is in so it's got all these different moves but yet there's not that many chords right and that was the thing when i started you know when i when i was kind of going over it to play live with them i'm like i never realized it's there's only like five chords in here because mm -hmm. i was thinking oh i have to learn this section and oh i wonder what's happening here and it was it was very simple in that way right you know what's interesting is i've, I've played a lot of motown music and motown is the same kind of thing it's deceptively complex right you know it, it again not a lot of chords but each arrangement it's the of feel, these songs right. yeah right. It, it, yes it's so hard to get that that feel to get it even, right, right yeah and, and like the look of love is interesting because it has the breakdown in the middle where it's zoom, dum, dum. yes yeah you know it's very rhythmic and then it builds up dum, 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 right. dum, 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 then the strings very dynamic kind of bring right. over it yeah yeah yes it's almost like a, a little mini you know show in there like you know right you, you could see the whole visual happening um, but yeah, I mean, that, that record for me just changed, just, it changed everything. You know, it's, it's this, it's those things that stick with you that you don't, you don't know they're going to stick with you in those moments in your life, but somehow they just, they get inside and they're, 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 they're there and they almost like they wait for their moment, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of, to shine through. Right. And I think look of love was always, it, it was always there for me because, you know, I would, I would always kind of use those kind of chords and stuff and songs that I was working on, not knowing those were the chords, you know, until I really started listening to their stuff. It was mm -hmm. like, oh, that, of course, I, I've used that a million times, but now I know why I've used it a million times. Right. You know, how I would arpeggiate, you know, the minor chords, and I would do that same lip, 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 lip. And I would do that mm -hmm. all the time. But like, of course, you're, you're pulling all this stuff from somewhere. And then when you start to realize it, you're like, oh, damn. Right. Like, it, it all just starts to kind of like, you know, makes sense mm -hmm. in this strange way. So, look of love is 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 everywhere, and you know, it's funny. We just, you know, you were playing uh, "Let Love Down," and I always say "Let Love Down." I don't say "Don't Let Love Down." I always forget the "Don't." I know. Don't let love because yeah. Beatles was D "Don't Let Me Down" let me was down. the Beatles, right. yeah, and yeah. But there, in, in that song, uh, in the pre, it's the same. It's the chords. The the pre section of that song are the chords mm -hmm. to uh, to "Look of Love." Those those three. Major, major, minor. Right. You know? And it, it's funny because we're going to play later on uh, a couple solo Beatles songs, uh, a George Harrison song and a McCartney song. Because when we listen to Don't Let Love Down, when I listen to Don't Let Love Down, that's so Beatlesque so Beatles to me. And I hear uh, we're going to play. Uh, actually, why don't we, can, can we do that? Can you pull up the George Harrison track that I gave you? Uh, because this song, this George Harrison track, goes back to 85, 86, I think. Tell me when you have it. I don't want to, because Rob hasn't heard it yet, doesn't know that. I, this is one of the songs that I chose on my own because of Don't Let Love Down. Oh, okay. And I've heard some of your other solo stuff. Um, listen to this, and then uh, you can kind of get it. You can push play. <laughs> yeah. I got my yeah. Mindset. Yeah. Yeah, we can, you want to talk over this? Uh, let, let's let it play for a sec, and then we will. I got my mind on you. Got my mind on you. But it's going to take money. A whole lot of spending money. It's going to take plenty of money to do it right, child. It's going to take time. A whole lot of precious time. 
This started the whole Jeff Lynn has to be in everything. It's funny you said it because I can hear the traveling Wilburys thing coming mm -hmm. out like in there, like right. It's yeah, it's, it's coming through. Yeah. yeah, but 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 that's also because you were you're a big ELO fan as well, and Jeff Lynn was basically ELO. And uh, you know, it's it's funny as as we're listening to that, I'm thinking I'm, I wish I had a piano here because if I if I slowed that down and played it like in the tempo of. Don't let love down. Uh, you, you'd really be like, oh my God, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's right in there. It's right. like, you, you think about it. On you, I got my mind it's like it's mm -hmm. in that same yeah. that feel. And, 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 and obviously, like, you know, Don't Let Love Down, I mean, it was co written, you know, with Gaga, and obviously it wasn't right for the fame. But um, it was one of those things where it was like, it, it kind of, when we wrote it, it all kind of came together simultaneously but it's it was so it just makes so much sense now that we even kind of titled it so close to a beatles title because it was like you couldn't deny mm -hmm. that this thing felt like it was straight out off like of abbey road or something you right know, you just you know so it's like let's just you know name it like you know let's let's just go with it and sometimes it was you know we you know we both were so myself and her we were so obviously influenced by the Beatles that I mean there were probably 20 records we did that that didn't make the album that were in that same you know we did a song called Oh Well uh, that was never released that was like you would think it was off Sgt. Pepper mm -hmm. you know it, you know there was like we were just we were so kind of it, it's something that I, I think an artist has to do you have to get it out it might not be right for the project and you know kind of when you're doing it this probably is going to make any record that we're doing but you still have to do it Mm -hmm. And I think Don't Let Love Down was was one of those songs, you know, for us, because it just, it was like, we, it just, it just came out and we weren't going to both be like, well, is this right for the direction? Sometimes you just don't do that. You know, especially as a producer, you just let it, let it be, let it happen. Maybe it'll find a life, you know, maybe it won't, you know, so that's why, like, you know, I, I, when people, you know, heard it and then they heard her version, they were, you know, they were. You know, emailing me and doing different comparisons, like, oh, I like her. And it was, it was never about that. It was, you know, it's not a contest. It was about, well, this is how I interpret it. This is how she, you know, see how she interpreted mm -hmm. it. So, it, like, that's the beauty of it, you know, especially with Beatles songs. Like, the interpretation is, is you know, you can do it a million different ways. Right. So that, that kind of fell into that. So, I mean, I can see why you're playing Harrison, who, um, I always say that that's my that was my favorite Beatle. That's my favorite Beatle. Sort of the most underrated. The most underrated Beatle who yes, and the quietest I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I relate. To. I could, I could. But that's a guy who like blossomed so much. If if you know, you take the early stuff and he would just sing um, like like George. I'm sorry, like Ringo. You know, you get one song an album, but yeah. then all of a sudden by Abbey Road he was. Yeah, he wrote something, yeah, and yeah. here comes the sun. Well, it's funny. I always wondered, was he feeling kind of, you know, animosity as, you know, John and Paul were doing the bulk of the writing? Was he kind of like, you know, on the sidelines, like, when am I getting my shot? And mm -hmm. not like he wasn't capable of of coming up with epic, you know, type material. He obviously was. I mean, I, I wonder about that. Right. And But, you know, he was the type, that, at least it seemed, that... He wouldn't be like, like, like you know, where John would be yelling and screaming, like, oh, come on, come on, you know, banging his hands against the table. George just seemed to kind of wait, wait it out and, mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of have more peaceful vibe. And look, it all, like, it all played out kind of nicely. I mean, people recognize, you know, George. I mean, I love his guitar work. I'm like, his guitar parts to me are just enormous, you know, because I love tasty 
you know, simple parts. And he was just amazing at, at these simple, tasty little guitar parts. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be all this right. Eddie Van Halen type stuff. It's like he had this very simple, bendy kind of cry to the guitar that I, mm -hmm. I absolutely love. Right. So, okay. Um, I know we're supposed to be talking about 80s. We're gonna no, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I brought... Yeah, but that, that, that's, that's that. So why don't we go to um, the Missing Persons track? Uh, this is a song, again, where... where uh, Look of Love was 83. I think this Missing Persons track was also 1983. It's Words. And uh, uh, Bozio. The drummer was Terry. Who was the singer? Yeah, Dale. Dale, Dale Bozio. Yeah. Okay. So uh, tell me when you're going to play it. And you, do you want to listen? Well, listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could turn uh, them up. Yeah, okay. Push play and then go. I'll stop talking. So what was it about that song? I can't take it. I just, oh, it's just so good. <laughs> Why? You know, it, it's very, it's very difficult as a producer to, to, especially with drums, when you're programming drums to, to, to make them feel danceable and you know, tight and quantized, but yet loose and organic. And that's a great example of that. Although those are live drums, he's playing it very stiff and danceable. Mm -hmm. You know, ACDC was great at that too. You know, there, there's this very cool stiffness to the drums, which allows the dance element. Right. You know, when drums are too loose, it's like, you know, as much as I love Bonham, you know, the drums are loose, so you don't really dance. You dance in a different way, right? These are like very danceable, stiff drums, but yet there's something emotional about it. That's the, that's the trick. It, that's the thing that's so difficult to find. Um, you know, if you went through my drum library on my on my sampler on my drum machine, you would find at least three, four hundred snare drums that sound that are trying to get that have that sound. The, his mm -hmm. snare drum, it's got a thickness and it's got a punch, but it doesn't eat up the mix where it's so big. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's got this like thud to it, and I I was always attracted to the thud snare drums, but I was also very attracted to this loose but tight drum drum thing mm -hmm. you know and one of the you know where i try to get some of that is you know in in a track like brown eyes which i did on the fame it's that it's that same thing i'm trying to be organic with the drums but i'm trying to be stiff so that's where that's where that all comes for me that whole 
missing persons. You know, besides, you know, the fact she had this very, you know, Dale had this very sexy um, rock and roll thing that, you know, for a female artist, it's, 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 it's a very tricky balance. Mm -hmm. You know, Blondie had it. You know, you know, I think, you know, Christy Hines has it to some, to some degree. Um, but for, for that era, you know, it, it either kind of leaned more kind of feminine, you know, softer, or it had like too much of the rock element where it lost some of the, you know, the, the, um, the softness to it. Mm -hmm. She had both. And the, even in the way she moved, like if you look at her move, um, you, she's moving, but she's not moving a lot. It's this, it's this jerky kind of, it's a sexy move, but it's not a lot. That's why, you know, it, a lot of times when I work with artists, like, you know, they're, and they're on stage, like, they they think they have to move a lot. When you don't, sometimes it's, you know, Blondie, same thing. If you look at her when she was performing, there's very little movement, but it was it was a, it was the right movement that went with the with the feel of the, the music. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't dancing around, going crazy, but yet they were, like, they had this, like, very uh, concentrated you know, look and feel, you know, with the music. Um, missing Persons, you know, I mean, it was obvious that, you know, when, when Gaga came out that a lot of people were making that comparison. And again, it was obvious that we, you know, we used that as mm -hmm. a huge, you know, inspiration for, for her development. Um, and I don't think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, you know, she obviously even went further with it in some of the, the dress and some of the, mm -hmm. you know, the costumes and, and, and the fashion sense you know gaga took what dale was doing and made it you know into you know brought into the 2000s so um i mean look that's one of those tracks i could talk for hours about i don't want to bore you you know with the details of sonically and what you know um but those are those records that i, that I studied i you know i would sit and dissect every hi-hat every bass sound every synth you know and i would sit in my room and and try to match the synths and try to get all as much as i could you know the waveform so it, how it wavered and how it oscillated over you know the track and all these little things that you'll you hear in there like again one of those records that you could listen to and every time you're going to hear something different which is what i love about the 80s stuff is that you know it, it's not one guy behind his mixer behind his drum machine making music which you hear, I mean, you 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 don't you hear, but you don't know you hear that. There's a stiffness to it. There's an ear fatigue that happens today. That with, with where it didn't happen with these '80s records, like you hear the interaction of the musicians. You know, you hear, you hear. You know, it's almost like they're communicating together. You're listening to a conversation, and I think that's one of the things that you know music does miss today. Of course, you have your your acts like Muse, uh, and you know, people like the Strokes and. You know, uh, I love Black Keys. They they have some of that, and there are, it harkens back to that. But Dale and, and and Missing Persons is just it's for me. It's that quintessential '80s dance rock thing. And when people try to mix dance and rock today, it's 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 a lot of the time it's cheesy because it's almost like those two worlds don't want to blend. Mm -hmm. They fight each other if it's not done in such a way that's. It's, it's it's broken apart in that way. So that's right. you know I mean again I can go on and on about that about that record and that group. And they, and they were an American band, right? yes. Which is interesting because they were in that era of the ABC era, the Culture Club, when it seemed like there was this wave of of British pop synth pop coming over. Right. And they fit in that mold, yet they weren't. 
Right, but, but it's still it, it's funny because you said it does still have this kind of American thing to it, and it's yeah. weird, and you can't explain why. You know, it, it, it sounds a little bit different. It feels different, mm -hmm. but yes, very much. You know, in that you know, and, and if you try to compare them to another act, it's it's hard. And that, again, mm -hmm. I, I reiterate that's the great thing about this eighty stuff is like everyone had their kind of lean. Where you know, and I know I sound like oh my god, I sound like an old man. Like I walk you know, to school uphill both ways, you know, but like today it just, it feels like everyone's in everyone's lane. It's like, everyone's like bumping each other in the lanes as, as they pass by. It's like, Oh, well, that sounds like Bruno Mars. That sounds like Justin, you know, everyone's kind of bumping each, each other. I'm like, who is this? I'm like, and, and you lose interest. At least I do. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to ask who's this again. Like I, I should know. Mm -hmm. Like when a journey song came on, I knew his journey. And when a Billy Joel song came on, you know, in the 80s, I mean, I knew it was Billy. I didn't have to be like, hey, who, this guy sounds like Billy Joel. No, it's Billy Joel. You know, so it's like, that's that's another thing that I just, you know, I'm so passionate about the 80s stuff for. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. And, and I also think uh, just when uh, we started that track and we heard the way she was doing the, ah, you know, these little inflections, yeah, so, yeah. and which at this era, this is Madonna burning up for your love where she wasn't doing that yet until... Right. 84 the next year right. when she did like a virgin and, and material girl and she started adding those inflections into her vocal you can tell madonna was influenced by that for sure and he, uh, yes and i had never thought of that yeah, until yeah. we're talking about yeah, this because yeah. i always thought gaga was very madonna influenced as well and uh, i always very thought much, she yeah. was actually uh doing madonna better than madonna can do now because yeah. madonna i think uh, is too old for what she's still trying to be Madonna from the 80s right and I don't think she can be and and I thought Gaga was the next generation of that and taking it the next step and, and Gaga I thought still think is a better musician than Madonna yeah yeah, yeah. was well, naturally sure. right off the bat although Madonna is a great writer and you know you got to give her credit where credit is due mm -hmm. and so. she did grow uh, vocally like if you yes, listen to Burning yes. Up and then you listen to uh you know the late 80s just within like six years her voice she really learned how to sing yeah it wasn't that whining thing one thing I, I've noticed working with, you know, people like Gaga is that they're sponges and Beyonce as well. It's like you tell them something or like, hey, check out this record. All of a sudden it's it's there. And it's like almost like a database where, you know, I would say to Gaga, hey, you know, check out some, you know, go home and listen to some Cure. I want to try this vocal again tomorrow, um, you know, with a little bit more Robert Smith vibe. And she would come back the next day and I was, I was like, whoa, whoa. What, and what did you stay up all night? She probably didn't stay up all night, but the, the, the point is that these certain artists have this thing where they just they hear it once and it's it's input and it, it and it, they could put it into their own vibe mm -hmm. and you know she did that very much you know obviously with missing persons you know she did it with you know queen and she you know everything that kind of with robert smith everything that came her way it just it's like got filtered through and then it came out gaga so it's like you know the, the and the madonna madonna has that too i, I believe so, um, I mean, Missing Persons was no different for Gaga, who, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure she knew them. I don't think she knew who Missing Persons was, you know, mm -hmm. prior to us. Uh, you know, so maybe I played a small part in introducing her to, to some of that stuff. Right. So. Well, I, I, I take you to step back from that and just looking at you as a producer at that point. What I find interesting is you had had this whole, you talk about the database in your body and in your mind. You had this database. You could, as, as you're producing this girl... Hey, listen to the Cure. Listen to Robert Smith. Right, right. You know, and if you didn't have that background, she never would have received that background. Right, and that's that's how it works, totally. Right, and I don't think uh, I think there. Are, and it goes to a story I was teaching a kid in class recently, who's a, a pop student here at William Patterson University, and he doesn't uh, listen to anything. 
on purpose because he's he wants to be hip hop. He wants to be his own sound. Like he's he's never heard of the Eagles. He's never heard of Garth Brooks. He's never heard of um, these I- iconic artists from Eagles seventies, Garth Brooks nineties. You know work. who who and um, he doesn't think he needs to know that. And I'm sure there are others like that. And what's your opinion about that? That'll never work. You got the, you draw. That's the beauty of it. Why is that a bad thing? That's the mm-hmm. beauty of it. You're not reinventing the wheel. Nobody will ever. I, I'll bet you anything, no one's going to hear your music and say, oh, my God, I've never heard this before. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like it, nobody's going to reinvent a wheel and say, look, I got a square wheel. Everyone, it goes faster than the round one. <laughs> it right. just, no, no, I just, again, that's a conversation we could have that can go on hours. But good luck with that. That'll just never happen. <laughs> It'll never work. Because I remember a long time ago, Rick Ocasek from the cars said something like that. And this is early 80s. Like, I only listen to my own stuff. I don't listen. And even back then, though, I, I thought, and I'm a high school kid at that point, thinking, I think he's lying. Oh, come on. You, you, hear, you could hear so many influences. Yeah. But, but look, I mean, I, I get it. Everyone wants, wants to be their own artist. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and the, But, you know, I think part of the beauty is also, oh, man, this reminds me of so-and-so. I like this track because it reminds me of you know something else you know right. I, that's the beauty of it you're not copying anybody obviously but those influences coming out are what draws us to that initial listen you know and like oh i love this because it makes me feel like back in the day when i was here tears for fears or you know it's just that it's all that pulling it together it's like putting it in the pot it's not like if i give you 10 ingredients what can you do with it mm-hmm. you, you got to start with some ingredients Otherwise, where's your, where's your stew? Like, you order? You give me some water? No, you got to have the ingredients to start. That's the beauty. And everyone's going to make a difference, too. And everyone's will taste different. That's the beauty of, you know, the, the music thing. No matter what you do, every person's thing will sound different with those same five ingredients. Right. Bass, drum, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and I, that, that, that'd be a, like, you know, it's nice to say to, uh, to the media or in an interview, like, oh, I've never listened to. You know, I think Lenny Kravitz said that once. I heard him mm-hmm. on an interview. He said that he's never listened to the Beatles. After he did let you know, let love rule. Like, okay, right. whatever you say. Let love rule is total. Whatever you a say. Song. I guess yeah. you invented the Beatles sound. In line. What can I? <laughs> yeah. Like, congratulations. You know, yeah. so I, I don't buy into that one. But you know, hey, all the power to him. That's interesting. That analogy is really good because there are so many cooking shows on, and there's I don't know if it's Top Chef or something where everybody gets the same five ingredients, and the secret ingredient is like human liver or something right. like that but now make something and they all make something different and it even looks completely yeah. different, which is the oddest part even yeah it tastes obviously different but mm-hmm. it looks completely different so you know what's you know i i pride myself on like you know even when i do a track i'm like yeah that's like the baseline from such and i got kind of got the drum vibe from here and i i what's wrong with that right I don't think there's anything wrong with it. i'm not copying anybody and there's like copyright infringement going on it's just you know i that's what i do i i you know, that's part of my strength right it's saying oh we should do this like this track or we should do you know we should you know beautiful dirty rich was a great example of um the gaga track um um was man we need to do something that's because her we we were listening to 1999 like crazy like in the car it was on the studio wherever we went so it was like we need to i want to do something that that feels like it could could come off this album and beautiful dirty rich was our version now it didn't come out like it didn't sound like we were trying to do prince i don't think but if you listen again back to that track you'd be like oh now I'm serious of Prince. Right. So it's like you you spit it out in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's the cool part about it. Yeah, after we're done with the top of the hour, we'll we'll do some uh, Prince and paparazzi. Yeah, because yeah. there's one song a long time ago you told me about uh, that paparazzi also had an influence, which we'll talk about in a couple yeah, minutes. Because yeah. uh, we're about five minutes from the top of the hour. So, by the way, we're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. 
And again, Dr. Esteban Marconi, who was your professor back in the day here at William Patterson. We haven't mentioned that you're an alum. Yeah, I don't think he's listening right now. I, I, do you think he's streaming this live in Costa Rica Probably from the not. beach? He's lame. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's, he's lame. lame. Ah, yeah, if you're sorry. Ah. <laughs> One credit short. Let's get us to graduate him. Come on. Those aren't hits. Those are like minor hits. <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears. That's his. In, in, so in college, I, I would go in with my bands, original bands. We'd go in the studio over like winter break or whatever. We'd spend all our money, record a track, come back. I'd play it for him. And I remember one song in particular. <laughs> I played it for him, gave him the cassette. A few days later, did you listen to our song? What'd you think? Ah. <laughs> like what? Is that good or bad? <laughs> it took too long to get to the hook, you know? And that was that. And then he kept walking That's down so the funny. hall. It's so funny because I played him some stuff too when I was here. I played yeah. stuff. I was writing and I played it for him. And he, I came in the next day. I'm like, hey, you listen to this? Like, yeah, I listened to it. He goes, what's up with these grades of yours? A's and F's. Did anyone say anything about this? They got all A's and all F's. What's wrong with you? Bipolar? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm yeah, bipolar. By the, by the way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm having issues with that. Um, how about this? Why don't we play one song and it'll bring us to the top of the hour? Um, then we'll come back to it. Play uh, the Talking Heads track. We're going to listen to this. Uh, then once it's over, she'll play a PSA, a public service announcement, right? What? Uh, once in a lifetime. I apologize. This is all good for Ashley, too, because you've probably heard this song, but uh, here it is. I'm, and right now I'm talking to Ashley, uh, the engineer. How old are you, 19 or 20? 19. 19 years old. Have you heard, did you, uh, let, uh, we just played uh, Words Missing Persons. Had you ever heard that song before? Yeah? Okay. Uh, what was this? Uh, the, you, I bet you'd never heard that joke. Yeah, you you, you <laughs> love them. you got to check them out because she had that yeah. hair like you. I'll take a picture and put it up on our story, the color of the hair of uh, yeah. our producer, yeah. Ashley, because it's uh, one of the cool things about, one of the many cool things about Ashley. Hold on. there. Put, put your head down, face down. There we go. Do you hair me? Okay, there we go. Do you care? <laughs> All right, there's her. So go to Music Biz 101 WP on Instagram and let us play this song. There's a little percussion to start. And then after that, PSA, then we will come back and talk a little bit more with Rob Fusari on Brave New Radio, Music Biz 101 and more. beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. 
at the bottom of the ocean. Under the water, carry the water.
Sorry. All right. So uh, it's still playing. Okay. So uh, that that's paparazzi that we're listening to. And uh, I brought up to you. There you are. I brought up to you. Uh, so that's you. You playing keyboard on this track. Mm -hmm. And she also uh, plays, Gaga plays some keyboards too. Okay. How many do you remember? And what kind of keyboard was it? Yeah, I do. Um, this I actually I had brought a um, an old Prophet Five mm -hmm. keyboard. Um, that I, I always wanted to because that's the that's the quintessential 80s mm -hmm. keyboard the Prophet 5 right um, I mean all those those big records were done on the Prophet so a Prophet uh, there's a Juno a Roland Juno synth playing on there there's a bunch of keyboards on there there's an Access Virus which is a newer mm -hmm. that's the one that plays real real <clears throat> in, the, in the verses there's the MPC uh, um, 3000 which which all the drums were done on and it's funny because that's actually the drums are kind of my version without listening to it at that moment it's my version of when doves cry mm -hmm. the beat and if and now if you a b i know we don't have doves cry here do we have it now oh, okay. we have it? oh yeah, yeah what, you want to put on when doves cry now okay it's 10 9 okay <laughs> so go on go on rob sorry so yeah so that's kind of like my my prince uh doves cry beat right without, you know sitting there trying to go note for note is it coming? Yeah, I heard it. Yeah. Obviously, now they're faster, but if you, you know, kind of, it's capturing, trying to capture that feel. Is there a guitar on paparazzi? No guitar now. No guitar. And, and the key was there is no bass in paparazzi and no well, bass. No, in... there there is bass in, in paparazzi, but it's all kind of it's it's played uh, register wise and sonically. It's not sitting um, where you know frequency of bass would sit normally in that okay. lower 60 hertz mm -hmm. uh, area so in, instead of that um, it's funny because after the record was done mm -hmm. it kind of it started to bother me that there was no you know no sub you know bass um, in there frequency right so I added this very low 808 kick drum that just kind of that pulsates through mm -hmm. the whole like it barely comes out right because I'm thinking like well, they're not, you know, they're not, how are they going to play this in the clubs, like, without, mm -hmm. you know, without the bass? But it's like, you know, that sub-bass. But, you know, that was a, that was the Prince, you know, that, that kind of harkened back to that Prince moment where, you know, he questioned, you know, in, in some of the biographies I've read, he questioned whether he needed the bass mm -hmm. in Dove's Cry because it, it was messing with him. Like, how can, how can you, can you really, how many tracks are there without bass? And his music was obviously so bass, you know, driven. Um, but th that, that was that kind of parallel. Um, that was happening with you know with paparazzi and that and Dove's cry, um, but again you know paparazzi was you know it, for me it was it was it was that kind of push and pull where I would I would program elements of the beat and then I would try to reprogram them without the quantize on. So and it's it's it sounds like it's easy to do, it's, and it's really not because what happens is you program the part without the quantize on, and the machine kind of interprets. Your, Explain quantize. So quantize is, is is basically all the drums you hear today in dance music are quantized. And what it what it means is that you when you when you input or play, you know, into your drum machine or whatever you're you're programming into, the machine will fix it and put it in perfect time for you. So it's 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 completely, you know, in beat, in tempo. There's no, you know, it doesn't drift outside. There's no parts that drift outside the of the, the beat. So it falls, everything falls into, you know, some subdivision of the beat. So basically what I'm saying is that it makes it very tight. 
and mm -hmm. stiff, but danceable. You know, <clears throat> all music of the dance nature is quantized. I was trying to do something, you know, that, you know, like I talked about with, with Missing Persons, that was bell quantized, but yet loose in this kind of 80s danceable way. And it's, it's, you know, it sounds easier to do, and, you know, and I've programmed millions of beats, but I, I kind of struggled with this one because I would do a part, I would try to replay it without the quantize, it wouldn't be right, and I would do it again. And then, so what I wound up doing is I, I kind of meshed the two worlds. I, I left some of the stuff quantized and then left some not quantized. You know, because I, mm -hmm. I, I definitely wanted the, the fame, you know, as a whole, the record to feel 80s. And I wanted, you know, even like, you know, my tracks don't have auto-tune with her vocal. I know, you know, I think Red One and some of the other producers used auto-tune. Um, but I was trying to keep it in this, you know, very 80s. Like, there was no auto-tune, like, like mm -hmm. auto-tune. Let's, let's get this, you know, you, you're a great singer. Let's, why, what's, what do we need auto-tune for? It's, yeah. It doesn't make sense on you. You know, and I, even, I tried putting, putting on her on a couple of tracks. And I was like, it's kind of just taken away from the essence of your vocal, I thought. And so the tracks that I had done don't have auto-tune uh, on them. Um, and Paparazzi's, you know, one of them. And I, you know, there's no fixing vocals uh, on the on the records I did with her. It's just those are, you know, some of those are just two takes. I think Paparazzi's like two or three takes. Vocal takes, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a couple of background things. That was it. Very, very easy uh, vocalist mm -hmm. to record. Right. I wish they were all like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so now we're listening to When Dubs Cry. And then why don't we go to, so that was a good story. Thank you, Rob, for that story. Why don't we go to uh, Van Halen? Because this is kind of different from everything else that we've played mm. and are going to play. And uh, I'm curious why you included this on your list of favorite 80s tracks. Jump. Jump, yes. Goodbye, Prince. Here we go. What? What? Yeah, you can say goodbye to Prince. Bye, Prince. Goodbye to Prince. Hello. Take a look. Here we go. Only a year after Missing Persons. This is 84 Missing Persons. I was on Missing Persons. I didn't realize that yet. Yeah. Are we on the air? Yeah, we're still on the air. Hey, yeah. air. <laughs> we are actually literally air. on oxygen. Ooh. Yeah. Well, air and is actually. Oxygen. Yeah. I almost said oxygen is. Didn't you have an air? Air is H2O, but that's water, so I don't know what. It's close enough. Air, yeah. O2. You need them both. <laughs> we um, do. It's, oh, man, listening to this, like, you know, that, that synth. You know, that, mm -hmm. that synth, I believe, is the Oberheim. So you had the Prophet 5 and the Oberheim um, back in the day. Those were the two 80s synths. And, you know, you hear play, people play this this track out, and the synth never really gets there because there's, there's, there's something happening in the synth that has this, like, this wavering oscillator thing that, that, that makes it so interesting and so, you know, juicy. But, you know, this... this um, I would, you know, there's a thing that I would say to singers, you know, a lot in the studio, and they would just look at me like, why, why, what, what are you talking about, why? Mm -hmm. And I would say to them, you know, when they were singing, um, I would say, all right, so you got to stop singing. And, you know, at first, like, you know, a lot of, you know, people that I work with, if it was a newer relationship, they would be like, they wouldn't really say anything. It's like, they kind of look at me like, just, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm just going to mm -hmm. keep going. Right, so they would they would continue on the takes, and we we'd be recording, and and you know every so often I'd be like, okay, 
You're singing. I, no, no singing. There's no singing in here. Did they understand what you meant? They, they didn't, but I, right. I kept I kept driving it little by little, mm -hmm. and I just wanted I wanted them to get accustomed to that. Right. And what I was saying is, you listen to the vocal on Jump. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a lot of parts where he's not singing. Right. He's singing, but he's not singing. I get up, nothing gets me down. It's right. like it's not like he's not like he's not singing. He's like there's this talking like conversational thing that's happening that he's not you know you know if he were on like you know the voice you know it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense because that's singing this is like this kind of like cool just like nothing gets me down like it's just like this kind of throwaway mm -hmm. like conversational talk singing you know the the, uh, the talking heads track obviously has it to the to a, a greater depth Right. You know, where, where, where he's kind of almost talking the verses, but he's not. He's kind of sing talking. And that's what I would be saying to a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the artists because they uh, they would be giving me back this, you know, like, are we trying out for American Idol right now? I don't want that in this track. You know, that's not. And that, a lot of stuff that I do and write is not like that. So I would want more of this David Lee Roth jump, you know, uh, talking heads, non-singing thing. So I would just, and I would slowly kind of introduce him to this thing where I would be like, you know, if the part, if, if the singing part, they were singing, I would go completely op opposite way. So, you know, I would go, when you let love down. And, you know, if they were singing, when you let love down, right, I would say, no, no. I want, when you let love down. Like Dylan. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, would, I would take it the complete opposite way so that they would kind of get where I would, and then they would take that and obviously still sing it, but they wouldn't be singing, singing. Right. And that's why this this track for me was so important, that it had that, it started to introduce me in the 80s to this like non-singing thing, mm -hmm. which I thought was just, it was like, that's that's it, that's that's the thing. Could an example of that be at the beginning of Bootalicious, which you produced where they're saying, hey, Beyonce, hey, you know, they're, they're like saying each other's names. It, it kind of but is, but it, it, it's not, it, it kind of is. A better example would be, um, the bridge in um, in Paparazzi, mm -hmm. where you know she's she's doing this very kind of throwaway thing with 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 the vocal. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like it's like there's there's notes, right? And it's and it's hard to explain, but I think if you hear it, you know, you, you kind of you, you start to get it more. Uh, there's notes, but it's kind of like where what are the notes? You know what I mean? You can't actually mm -hmm. put you could put notes to it, but they're not notes. They're like this in between thing that's that happens. When you kind of you slide around and you just kind of talk sing, right? And that was the thing that became such an integral part of, of my production um, in making records, especially you know you know during that you know the, during the Gaga stuff and, and and you know a little bit before and after, just you know brought this whole you know harken back to that David Lee Roth, you know um, um, talking heads kind of non singing thing. That's why the, I had to put this track down because it's obviously being such a great pop record. Um, you know, again, in a major key, but yet it, major, but it feels like it's this weird dark thing too. And I think part of that dark thing is the non-singing element. Because if he were singing, like if you put this on, like, let's say Kelly Clarkson was singing this and nothing against Kelly Clarkson, but imagine her singing this. That's, mm -hmm. she would sing it. You can't sing this, this song. You have to like almost not sing it. Right. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So paparazzi right now, we just mentioned, uh, three influences sort of that we've we've played you mentioned jump the david lee roth the missing persons thing and then uh prince uh can you think of just uh 
right now consciously any other songs or artists that helped influence that song? And obviously the talent of your own personal and, and her talent, but was there... Oh my God, there's like, there's so many in there. I mean, uh -huh. um, you know, it's funny because, you know, I know missing persons, but like even the, the verse, the, the synth line in the verse is that kind of missing persons vibe with the very, you know, dreamy, the dreamy synth thing mm -hmm. to it. Um, but, you know, paparazzi was, is, is, you know, started as this piano driven, you know, kind of mid tempo um, feel to it. And then I think something happened when the piano came out and it was, it was replaced by a synth. So basically, you know, the way we would start every track was I was on drum machine, she was on piano, and we would just start the vibe that way. Um, and paparazzi was no different. So basically, I would program the drums, and then and then we would put down her her piano. And on paparazzi, she just played these kind of like very, you know, straight kind of chords. And you know. Um, um, we were both listening to, you know, obviously a lot of strokes. Um, and then another big influence, you know, for that record um, was a group that we were listening to called She Wants Revenge. Mm -hmm. And they were a newer uh, a group at the time. But we were definitely trying to capture some of that initially She Wants Revenge thing. But it didn't kind of end up that way, but it started that way. And we were both thinking She Wants Revenge going into it. Mm -hmm. But that that was the beauty of what I was talking about earlier, where you know you, you just you just throw the stuff into the pot and see what you don't know what's going to come out, you know, mm -hmm. after all is said and done. So you know it, it was when that you know the piano got changed to the synth part that that it started to kind of take hold and it started to make sense and started to feel like something. Right. So I mean, but you know, again, you just you use all these these influences, you know, uh, from from so many, you know places the bet you you don't you, sometimes you don't even know where they're coming from they just you just let it kind of happen um and paparazzi just had you know a, a bunch of stuff in there that that we were both influenced by okay let, why don't we go to aha take on me mm. this is aha aha don't forget the hyphen as in vb hyphen cpa.com where you can go for your business needs thank you Aaron Van Dyne, White Hat Management. All right, here's some aha for you on PSC 88.7 FM. So we've been listening to Take On Me by AHA. Again, we're in 83, 84, I would think. 
<laughs> so what was it about this song? Um, jeez. Well, you know, it's funny you asked about Pop Rossi, some of the influences. Like, the bass line in Take On Me is basically what Pop Rossi's doing is, is those octaves. It plays off the octaves, and that's kind of what the bass part, if you will, in Pop Rossi's doing. So again, there's another influence. You know, I guess, um, I guess with AHA, like, what really got me with this record was that the cry, yeah, there was a cry in the in the vocal that that really meshed the worlds of pop music and you know this emotional thing that really pulled at the heartstrings that I always you know strive for in in, in writing. Um, somehow they just captured this this whole other world in this song and this in this recording, and the visual part obviously played a you know big big part here because the video you know it is where we started to connect video you know the visual with with the artists and mm -hmm. it, it kind of started to all be this one package uh, and for me this this record and the video you know kind of started see i started to see things differently it wasn't about just a song anymore and you know it was something that i would you know always think about um making records was how's this what's the video going to be like you know, how is this going to translate on stage? So whereas, you know, you could make records in a vacuum in your bedroom or your studio, at some point you gotta, you got to take yourself out of that world and say, how, what are the other pieces of this puzzle? You know, how, how is the artist going to perform this? Is it going to be theatrical? Is it? And then you start to, maybe if the artist is theatrical, you add these elements into it. And I think this record, you know, being, you know, so connected with the video had me thinking theatrics. As opposed to just, I just got to do a great song and and it'll be a hit and, and see what happens. No, it's that's not it. And especially today, that's not it. There's so many other facets to the song that you kind of you want to give you know the artist that palette, you know, in a song and in the production to to run with it in so many so many ways that are you know visual and marketable, you know, in a creative element. And and I think you know, Aha was uh, brilliant. In meshing those those worlds and and it just it's one of those records every time it comes on you know it's funny it sounds like it's a rather simple pop song but i'll never forget i was playing with a cover band a few years back and we tried this and i'm like we ran through it once i'm like hell no mm -hmm. no don't stay away from that song because mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it, yeah. it's not it's not as simple as it sounds it's got this you know program drum thing happening it's got this energy and this pace and this kind of meshing of synths and, you know, all this vocal stuff. And it's like, it was just, it was almost impossible to recreate. And we just left it alone. We played it like once or twice. I'm like, ah, no, 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 no. Yeah, a song like this, from a cover band standpoint, if you're at a wedding band or whatever, the only way I would say you could do it is not do it. I mean, no, I mean not skip it. <laughs> well, you know, it sounded great when they didn't and, do it. Yeah, I know. Best song they did is when they didn't do Aha. Uh -huh, take on me, but instead add guitars or something, to, or actually turn it into a it right. uh, you have to a, a, a live song as opposed to this is a studio song. This is perfect for MTV because it's a studio song. It's it's all about the video. This song was so big, I think half because of the video. It's a good song yeah. on its own, but I think if it didn't have that video and that girl and that love story and yeah, that sort of sure. sketch big part, thing going big on, part. yeah. So if, if you, uh, Ashley, have you ever seen the video for Aha? Uh -huh, take on me. This um. For anybody listening who has never seen the video, they should. This is probably one of those groundbreaking videos. Oh then they should God, go back. Yes. They should watch uh, the missing person's words video. They should yes, watch yes. the videos of these songs, Jump by Van Halen. Because Jump 
was a video in which I think they, at the time, I going back to the minute, they spent like $500 to make that video because it's nothing, just them on a soundstage with nothing in the background just right. playing. Right, right. And sometimes that's all it takes when yeah. there's magic. Mm-hmm. Like he does that backwards flip or like they reverse it or something. Uh-huh. But, you yeah. know, you, you, the, the, there's something about the colors in Jump, the video, that are so vivid and memorable that you could almost you almost feel it comes through, like saturates mm-hmm. through the TV. Like I feel like the record does that too. Like the marriage, it's all about that marriage, right? The marriage was so magnificent in those two worlds. You know, the saturated video and the colors and the synth being saturated and the analog recording. It all just it comes together and, and right. aha. Um you know, it's it's one of those like you said, it's one of those records that once connected with the video, it's out of here. Some records are just like that. And for Jump and uh, Van Halen, there were two keys to <clears throat> two keys to that song. First, they add, that was the first time they added keyboards to their sound, and that was album number. Let's see, they had uh, Van Halen, Van Halen Two, Diver Down. So this was their fourth record. Nineteen eighty-four um, was that the record? At eighty-four, and then no, it was is their fifth record. Fifth record. Yeah, um, and also in their last record with Davey Lee Roth before the long right, hiatus, right. but. So keyboards were in it, and Eddie was actually playing them. But the thing, what was remember what Eddie was doing in the video as he played keyboards? He was smiling, right? And that it was completely. This is a serious eruption guitarist, and here he is singing. I'm sorry, playing keyboard and smiling. Yes, transition. And that totally changed look of that video and that band, band, guy. Yeah, and it it was like it 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 broke him into a whole another strategy. As simple as a smile. Yeah. Sometimes you know, it's all and, and I think that's something for because uh, again you're talking contrast, so just within that video itself, the background was all black, yeah. completely pitch black, and that's why the colors did so well, right? Because there was nothing in the background to get in the it, way. Right. That's right. Because like, I remember um, Alex Van Halen's drums had that sort of match the guitar. It was red and white stripes on them. Yes, yes. And David Lee had this sort of white sleeveless shirt that he was wearing, and I think. Um, that was part so that yeah. with the black background and then the smile and the keyboards and it was just different from a different look for that band and it gave them they became superstars the huge yes. yeah yes. it's funny that you remember something like the smile and that's so i always tell artists it's those little things that you think are insignificant but sometimes they change everything like you know for instance you know talking about one of the bigger 80s acts of guns and roses i saw them live last year and i was just waiting for you know i know slash and Axel had had some, you know, history, some not so good history, but the whole time, the whole show, I was just waiting for w- one look at each other, for them to smile, you know, and that 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 for me would have made the whole show, you know. I was I wanted it. I just I just to show that there's that camaraderie, there's that joy. Yeah, yeah. like like you're playing for you know fifty thousand people, you know, in a stadium. Like my God, like what what's the problem? <laughs> and I just wanted that for yeah. me, you know, to to, to almost like it, it's it's a way of saying. It, it's all right. Everything's all right. You know, we. This is. It's about the music, and that I think that smile. You know, you know, with with Eddie Van Halen doing that, like that, for you, you remember that. Mm-hmm. I I didn't even remember that. That's that's that little stuff that, and that's and then look, rock and roll is sometimes about you could smile. It's not about you know, yeah. rock and roll. You know, it's like sometimes it's it's the other side of it. And I think Eddie, you know, was a genius in doing that, like bringing this kind of poppy synth thing that anyone else doing that would have been like, what is, what is this? But somehow when they did it, the sound of the drums and the bass and the growl, it still had a growl and it still was Van Halen, mm-hmm. but without like, you know, the, the heavy guitar throughout the whole track. So it's incredible. And, and Eddie was sort of on a high already because he had been the year before in, uh, on Thriller with Michael Jackson. Right, right. And uh, what was the song? I was in, uh, 
da 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 yeah, Beat It. Beat It, yeah, yeah. He had played lead on Beat It. Yeah. Um, which Janet tried to sort of copy with Dirty, Dirty Diana right, right. a couple that, years that later. Right, right, that rock dance with, thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that rock dancing again. Yeah, yeah. So, it's uh, tricky. Yeah, it's interesting. So it worked with Eddie. It didn't work as well yeah, no, when Janet not. tried it. But um, let's go to the next song. Let's go to Spandau Ballet. The song is True. This is a lot of what we're talking about is the and more part of Music Biz 101 and more. We're on 88.7 WPSC-FM. I'm not allowed to say that. I'm supposed to say Brave New Radio. So I apologize. But we're in the 80s. So I had a radio show in the 80s when I was going here. And um, we were WPSC-FM and Cable. So uh, you could actually get us in the dorms on, like, the cable system somehow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So there we go. There's, there's a little PSC history for you. All right. You're going to play this? Ah, ha, ha, ha. I know this much is true. Go. And things in that I know. Song right it's there. like, first of all, lyrically, it's just it's so different, man, and it's <laughs> so left for interpretation. Which I, I mean, I bought a ticket to the world. Yeah. And now I come back again, like 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 always in time, but never in line for dreams. Like it's like it's so trippy, and it sounds like if you don't listen to it, you're like ah, oh, it's a nice little pop song. But man, it's like there's some serious, like almost like poetic depth and poetic justice going on in there and then i and then i think like you know all the guitar stuff in the world like you take these this interval he's playing on the guitar and it's just so like magical and like creamy and it's just like 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 you could play a million notes he chooses this like very simple blimp blimp and mm -hmm. it just sounds so like everything just is so simple yet it just plays everybody's playing their part in this track it's just it's i mean magic like it's just magic like from start to finish i mean there's so like you said there's so many things about it like my head is like spinning <laughs> as i'm listening to it you know just just oh my god it's just uh, i can't it's crazy can you start it again start the track again because i want to when we listen to the beginning of it okay here it is Turn up just a little bit for a sec. So it's really mellow. Is it that guitar? Is just like yeah. Like you said, it's simple, but it's so simple. But take that guitar out, and like you fall apart. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Very George Michael too has a very yeah. George Michael like. And this is 1983 as well. Mm. So a lot of this stuff is right on the same right 
But coming up right here, right here. Just resting. Which you don't do today. Yeah. Like if you took that into a record company, Tay, they're like, all right, can you take out that part where like it stops? Like, what, you know, what's happening? What, what right. Are you going to put something there? It's all about, you know, putting more. It's more and more. Yeah. Like they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. If you went into a record company and played this today, they'd be like, yeah, I guess, I guess. It, it just doesn't make It wouldn't make right. sense. But those little, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's, it almost feels like it's a piece of work this way. It's like, it's, it's, it's written in the stars. Mm -hmm. like it's not like they were just trying to do a pop song. Like this is like a moment. It captured a moment in time. You know, that's the thing I miss so much mm -hmm. about music and new music. It's like it, that moment in time is like you feel it's like you're almost in the studio with them. Like I, I could I could feel like what it was like in the room. I could hear the room. I could, you know, I could see like I could see things. And it, it, it's a journey. The song is a journey. And every time you listen to it, it's a, a, you, you're taken on that journey. At least for me, I am. And it's like that's just again. It's, but, but for me, the one thing that really just listening to it again is that stands out is that lyric man it's like i mean i could sit there and read that lyric without even hearing the song and being like who's this mm -hmm. like, who wrote like if you showed me that lyric if i didn't know the song and you, you put that in front of me right now i would be like where's this person who wrote this talk to me mm -hmm. because it's it's not like it's it's saying things in this kind of quirky different poetic but not poetic way which i love you know so much and a lot of the artists you know that i love have that you know, Prince had that. Um, you know, it's it's poetic. It's a love song, but it's not written as a love song, if you know what I mean. It, it's got this just other, you know, worldly, trippy thing to it that I love so much. It's and, a journey. And you had Prince to that, because Prince lyrically, I don't think gets as much, gets enough credit. I mean, because he could write uh, some, some trippy stuff, you know, Raspberry Beret. He could do a love song, Nothing Compares to You. Then he could do a daily workday song like Manic Monday, which right. the Bengals did. So he was so... And then he could play guitar, and then he could yeah. write, and he could do... He could act. I mean, he was very special. Well, you I mean, take a, like, you know, Doves Cry, take a, a line like, like, animals strike curious poses. Yeah. Like, like that's... That's... Fuck. That's, that's, that's genius. That, that's like, that's poetic genius. Like, right. that's like... Who writes that? Right. You know, it's like nobody, that's just, that's out of this, like, that's the kind of lyrics that I'm like, I'm so drawn to because it's, it's like, wait, wait, play that back? Like, what does that mean? Like, and then you interpret it into your world and into, into your life mm -hmm. and how, you know, what does that mean? And, and then you, you, you dive deeper into the, into the artist and the recording and the whole world. It's a whole, mm -hmm. it takes you deeper in. Right. And it's interesting because because I mentioned that that space before he came in, you know that where you said fill that space. Right. You, you would have because there were two other songs in the '80s that had that space. There was um, "Live to Tell," that was a Madonna song That's right. That's from that, from yes. the film, yes. uh, and it had this long. It's in the middle, or is pause. It it's in the middle before the, middle, her, yeah, yeah. the before That's it goes right. into the bridge, and that's a song yeah. with uh, very drum machine program, you know, and, and program bass. Yes, um, but it's so effective. And then the Bangles, back to the Bangles, had a song called If She Knew What She Wants. And again, before they go into the bridge, there's this, it feels like forever. And it was probably like five seconds of just, ah. Then they go right. into the, the bridge. And you know what that is? Is, is something that we, we, we don't see as much today is that anticipation. Nobody wants to deal with the anticipation today. It's, it's harder because you have instant, everything's instant. Right. You know, you think of everything that like you get things in. So like you want a song 
in the click of a button, you download music history of every song ever written. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like there's like that, that like the anticipation is what it makes it work and it makes it so so effective. You know, where people don't want to wait today, so it's like we can't you can't have a dead space because it's uncomfortable. Right. That anticipation element. So that's what I mean. That's what, I love stuff like that. Right. Because it builds the anticipation. Like what's coming? There? I'm waiting for it. It's, you know, it's coming. Here it comes. You know, so it's. It's a great element to use that you don't hear anymore. Another song kind of like that, I Can't Tell You Why, by the, uh, by the Eagles, uh, 1979 off the Long Run album, yeah. um, had that sparseness. Very sparse. You know, and, and it, in the second verse, it brings in just this sort of uh, synth, of my favorites. Which, violent type. Who sang that? What Timothy B. Schmidt sang that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was voice, uh, a gorgeous, his voice was perfect oh, for it, and it was uh, a great... Did he sing New Kid? No, was that no, New, New Kid, Kid in Town? Was Glenn and Don? Glenn, Don okay. sang the upper harmony. But uh, but that was like the yeah. big Timothy B. Schmidt had just joined the band, okay. and uh, he did it. And if you watch, have you seen uh, History of the Eagles Part One and Two? No, I haven't seen it. it it's, it's, uh, if you're on Netflix, it's it's really good. And uh, they talk a lot about the music. And they had kicked out uh, a Randy Miser had been the bass player. And he actually left the group, and so they brought in Timothy B. Schmidt okay. and for that first record. And he sang that song, and he brought that in. That Don and Glenn, Don uh, Henley and Glenn Fry finished it with him. And after they recorded, after they finished the track, they go, "That's your first hit." Mm. And it was, I think, it hit great number record. two or number three great or something record. like that. But it was great. What's interesting is um, Timothy B. Schmidt, who replaced Randy Miser and the Eagles, had also replaced Randy Miser in the band Poco before this so we replaced the same guy twice just but like a decade apart it's funny because like if you take that line too like i can't tell you why it's like it's one of those lyrics and one of those lines that you that you've heard and you say in life but it could have dozens of meanings mm -hmm. you could start breaking that down into so many different layers of mm -hmm. just that just and i love i love when lyrics do that they're like you know it can mean this but is he saying this it kind of starts to layer and make this whole you know there's a much greater depth to the to the song right in that way love it well, it's like movies uh, if you watch a movie and you somebody says something and you and you have to figure out kind of where they go in with that or yeah. how did that end or where did it go from yeah, there yeah. That's the great part about that movie, as opposed to writing on the nose where I love you. Instead of right. me saying leaves, I love you, I say say right. it some other way, right. and you have to determine does he love her or not. Right. And it adds extra depth to the song. Absolutely. Right. Uh, why don't we get into uh, play a bit of Bootalicious, Destiny's Child, which. Uh, it's so funny you say Buddha like it's a Buddha. Uh, <laughs> this is you know it's saying? a religious so song. He, says, to like, Buddha. he makes it a religious, like. <laughs> I think monks are going to come <laughs> chanting out. Oh, how, how do you say it? Booty. A booty. Bootylicious. 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 over the buttocks. All right, so uh, tell me when you're ready for it. And then I'll, uh, I don't think you're ready for it. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
So um, it's funny you asked me about the uh, guitar riff, and that memory is it's not in the original key. Remember you were talking yeah, about yeah, that? Uh, yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago we were talking. Yeah. yeah, that's funny because you know when when I was working on this, I wanted to, to use the the guitar riff in um, Eye of the Tiger, mm -hmm. and somehow I went through my record collection. I didn't have that, so I'm like, all right, I'll go out and I'll buy it. You know, because she started to buy records back then. <laughs> I'll buy it, you know, after, because I think it's a weekend, so I'm like, but I was going through my collection, and I, I ran through, I saw, I had Greatest Hits, Stevie Nicks Greatest Hits, and I'm like, I think Edge of 17 has that similar, let me just throw it in there, in there for mm -hmm. now, that opening riff, but I had slowed it down, because I think the original tempo to the original guitar part felt a little bit fast, and I wanted it to groove a little more, so I slowed mm -hmm. the, and I pitched it down. You know, in the MPC, so that's why I changed the changed the key. I don't even think it's in 440; it might not be. Um, so then I, I'm like, well, I'll just replace it when I get the other Survivor, I the Tiger record. Mm -hmm. And then I did. The, I worked on it a little bit. It was one of those things where it was like a half hour, just on the MPC. So it was just a moment on the MPC with that guitar riff, drums, and whatever little sounds I had in the MPC that just happened to be on the. Right. So I didn't like call in any sounds or change anything. Somehow the MPC existed how it existed that day. I had other sounds up for other stuff. And I imported that guitar part. And I just started messing with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just left it alone for like months. Oh my God, that probably wasn't anything anyway. So I uh -huh. just kind of put it in the collection, if you will. I used DATs back then. I put it on a DAT. And then, um, like months later, I had gotten a call from, uh, um, what was his name, uh, Michael Bivens from Belva DeVoe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was working on a new uh, Belva DeVoe record. And um, he, you know, he had asked if I had any, any tracks that would be good for, uh, maybe for the, for, the, for the record. And I had, just, uh, I had just produced another record for one of his acts on his label. I, for, I can't remember the name of the, the act, but... Um, so that's when what I would when I got a call like that, what I would do is I would start I would go back to the dats and, and start listening, like, is there anything like that I did a few months ago? You know, I'm not gonna do anything new, you know, because I don't know, it's like is, am I really gonna work on that? Mm -hmm. So I, I would see if I had anything old. Not old, but you know, a few months, you know, five, six months ago. So that actually came up on one of the dats and I had put it on, I had recorded just a rough of it with just that NPC stuff. And I'm like, that sounds like it's good enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I made a copy of it and I sent it to Michael Bivens for, for his project. And um, and it was like, you know, a few weeks went by. I didn't hear anything back from him. He probably hates it. I'm like, ah, whatever. So, you know, not thinking anything of it, um, when I started working on some stuff for the Destiny's Child, the third record, they had, you know, called me and I, I cut a bunch of things already. And they were like, just, they were really digging what was going on. They're like, whatever else you got, just like, you know, let's, let's keep going. There's ideas, ideas, ideas. Um, so somehow that, that wound up on a CD of like 10 other things that I had sent to Beyonce, just starting ideas. And Beyonce picked that one, you know, um, to, to work on. So of course, you know, Beyonce and I had finished writing the song, um, recorded it and, like a day later after we recorded Michael Bivens called, like, I want that. I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> right. So there, was that, there was that whole kind of push and pull thing to kind of smooth it over with him. But, um, but you know, again, that, you know, it's funny because I had to kind of like fight to add 
there, there's some strings and there's some other little synth things that are going on in the record. But Matthew Knowles, who was managing the band at that time, felt that the record, the way it existed, was perfect. And I'm like, it's, but there's nothing in, like, there's just, it's a guitar loop and drums. Mm -hmm. I'm like, like, you know, I want to like, now that we wrote the song and had done the vocal, I wanted to produce around it. Mm -hmm. And I and it's funny because I had to do it kind of when he wasn't looking, if you will. Like, so there were, he'd be in the studio. We were doing it at the Hit Factory in New York, and he'd be in the studio all the time, kind of like watching over me. So I had to wait till he would go get right. lunch, and I would add like a little string thing, like oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then right. like you know, like, he would go somewhere else. I'd be like, I would add like another little synth, and I had to like sneak these things in. And sure enough, like when it was kind of done, I felt it was there. He listened back to it, and he was like, "What?" What's all this? What's all this stuff in here? I'm like, oh come on! And literally, like the A and R person and him were head to head. Like, mm -hmm. no, it needs that stuff. And he was like, no, take it all out. She was like, no. And I was just kind of like sitting back at that point because I wasn't gonna take it out. Don't say I don't know, whatever. And and sure enough, she, uh, Teresa White, who was the uh, A and R person, won that battle, mm -hmm. and the stuff remained in. That's the record you hear today with the extra little filler stuff, strings and whatnot in there. Right. But obviously, you know, 80s, you know, influence is obvious. And right. Now, who, let's see, who were the people who actually wrote Bootalicious? So it's you, it's Beyonce. Was there any other people accredited because it meant, well, obviously, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Stevie Nicks is right. credited. You know, that, 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 I mean, obviously the other girls are credited. Um, uh -huh. There's always, um, that's the one thing I learned very quickly in the business when I would get records uh, and I would pick the record up, it would come out, I would work on a record, produce it, write it, and then I would pick up the record and I would be like, who, who are these other people? Mm -hmm. Songwriters and, you know, sometimes instruments and all kinds of crazy, like, the, it was like Wild Wild West back then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes somebody's, you know, for published reasons, somebody's cousin would be on it or somebody's aunt. And it was just, it was so frustrating. But, you know, at that time, I was kind of like, just put your head down, Rob. Keep the train moving. Don't get into these, you know, you know, arguments, whatever. Just, just keep it moving. And a lot of times, I wouldn't even ask. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I would just be like, All right, cool, whatever. Right. You know, because it's like you got to just sometimes you got to know when to just kind of play your part and just let the train keep rolling and just don't ask questions. Right. Get on to the next record. So, in your opinion, that song has two songwriters. Yes. Okay. Now look, that, that, I, mean, that, that, I mean, now look, but you know, you always, the question will always come up because I don't want to speak out of line. Where, like, if if I bring an idea to the table and she brings an idea to the table, I don't know what she did before, mm -hmm. and she doesn't know what I did before. So I could say to her, I have this idea, or she could say she has this idea, but she may have started somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you, that that whole thing always kind of, you know, you think that you're getting together, you know, clean with two people, if it's two people or three, whatever. But sometimes, you know, you'll have this other element like, oh, but I did start it, you know, I mentioned I wanted to do a song. Uh-huh, so the idea, I did an idea with somebody else. Or started did, it, or, yeah. and, you know, we started this, but it didn't work over here, you know, I, and then I brought it over here. That always kind of played in a lot, mm -hmm. you know, you know, especially with the R&B music. It was, you know, sometimes I would see like nine writers on, on stuff, and I'd be like, oh, come on, <laughs> just come on already with right. this. Like, you know, this is not making sense to me. And then. Finally, you kind of get fed up with it, mm -hmm. and then you know you start to you start to kind of crack down on it. And I did, mm -hmm. you know, like especially when it came to like Gaga stuff and and the later stuff I did, I was like, we're not doing that. Like the UPS guy, 
He came in, he delivered a package. He's not getting credit because <laughs> he was here while we were writing the song. I'm sorry. He's going to have to deal with it. You know, it, but I know I'm exaggerating, but, right. you know, that's, that's something you had to kind of, you know, kind of live and learn to get there. Right. Okay. Um, and then the, the recording, when you listen to Beyonce's uh, vocal, the, the rhythm of her singing in the verse, uh, was that her? Was that you guys together kind of come? Because it's a unique sort of uh, the way she's structuring yeah, the phrase. It's funny because that that wasn't when I, when we had written it, that wasn't how I heard it. Because we, we, it was on the phone, mostly that we spoke on the phone and she'd be singing back against. So I would hear the track kind of lightly as she'd be singing and vice versa because it was, you know, as much as I could hear. Because mm -hmm. obviously on the phone, it's like it's going to be smaller. So I heard it differently. It's, a, it's funny because then she was like, she was out like somewhere touring and she's like, oh, I'm just going to go in and, and just, you know, rock the vocal. I'm here. And they were just doing so many shows that there wasn't really time for her to come back and, and do that vocal with me. So she wound up doing it, uh, I think, like in St. Louis or something. Then she sent it to me. And I'll never forget the disappointment. I was like, I went into my car and I, and I, and I put the CD in. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And I really, like, I had to listen to it three or four times because it wasn't what I was hearing. Right. And that's always the trick, you know, as a producer, as a writer. You have to find that happy medium of, of worlds where what's in your head and what's your vision it's got to kind of compromise with the vision of the artist. You have to find that middle ground because you'll never really, unless you're saying it and producing it like a prince, you're never going to get it to that point. So you, you, as a producer, and I was, you know, just producing and writing at that time, I have to, I had to find that place, you know, creatively where I was okay and I learned to love it. But that wasn't what I heard. But obviously, I learned to love it and you know, it grew on me. But so you know, but obviously, it, it, and it worked. But it wasn't what I initially, you know, because the way she was singing it on the phone, it had this different, it, there was a different syncopation to it, mm -hmm. which I was really digging. I was like, I got tied to that. And they call that demoitis almost because you get so tied right. to the original, what you heard originally, that when you hear the recorded version, you're kind of like, oh, whoa, whoa, what just happened here? And that would happen to me with record labels all the time. I would demo a song. They'd be like, oh, we love it. Let's record it on such and such artists. I would change one or two little things send it into the, the label and they'd be like whoa whoa what, what 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 is this and just those one or two things and a different singer mm -hmm. would throw them into such a different because we want the demo and then i i quickly learned like give like stick to that when somebody says they like like something just give them that do not alter so it was like it was huh. it was my kind of lesson right in that interesting world. okay why don't we, uh, can you again play just the beginning of Bootalicious, the first like uh, 20 seconds of it, then we'll go into um, Edge of 17 so we can kind of compare the two. Yes, so you're going to, I'm talking to Ashley when I do that. And uh, so, so, we, so by the way, I interestingly, you had said you wanted Eye of the Tiger by Survivor and the album the boot, bootylicious was on was called Survivor. Oh, I never put that together. I just I just thought of that now when you said that. I thought, oh, there's some irony there, and it wow. didn't make it. So that so if That's you had weird. had a Survivor track on that, and the album was called Survivor, that e either would have been cool or would have been a lot of criticism. Wow. I don't know. That's yeah. See layers again. We're getting yeah. some layers. See, there we I go. Like it. All right. Have you pushed? Okay. So here's the beginning of bootylicious. See? So you can see what you did 
differently there. How you uh, I couldn't get that slowed yeah, it down. I yeah, get the get... groove with that tempo. I was like, trying to get like a mm -hmm. head bop and groove. Right. I mean, you can bop your head to that, but it's like a different thing. Right. I want like a funkier, grimier, like. Right. It's funny because the, the the guitar actually sounds not that I want it. It sounds grimier, like in a this weird distorted way when I slowed it down. I don't love it, mm -hmm. and it always bothered me when it would come on the radio. I'm like, oh man, it sounds like it's got like a grainy sand over it. What is that? Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize like that was me slowing it down. It was the it was the uh, the sampler dealing with the the change mm -hmm. of the of the um, of the pitch. Right. It just didn't that for some reason it took that sonically and it just grained it out and it like it had this like gurgle. Right. It always bothered me on the radio. I'm like, oh, there's that gurgle thing. It sounds, uh, but you know, I guess it didn't bother anyone else. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's funny? I never noticed the uh, the pitch difference between the two until I played them back to ba back, yeah. back to back. And then I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. It's actually significant, and yeah, now that I hear it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's huge. It back, yeah, back but a it, long time. yeah, yeah. So, so that's interesting. So okay, and so uh, that was interesting. In Edge of Seventeen, let me go to that because a lot of these songs that we were talking about are around eighty-three. Edge of Seventeen was eighty-one. Yeah. So okay, but again, that's going back to, uh, to to your past. You know, to to your the database in your head. Of I know you wanted Survivor. Survivor that was eighty-two, eighty-three. Um, so, you know, as we're talking about the 80s, all this stuff that you uh, pull from, so much of it is this 82 to say 85, because really AHA is. was 85. It is. There's some late 70, but it, it is so, the database just kind of, and I feel like it cuts off after mm -hmm. like 92, after like Nirvana. <laughs> Excuse uh -huh. me, I think it just cuts off. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. And, you know, it is what it is. Like, that's, we're all, we all like what we like, and we draw from what we draw from that moves us mm -hmm. in certain ways, or it doesn't. So that's the database is like from seventy five to like maybe ninety two three. Right. Yeah. But I think that's, yeah, I think that's just people. You know, it I is, think we, yeah. there there is the time in our lives when something like music is all that matters because we can afford to have music all that matters. You know, so we were born the same year. So right. you, you're talking about um, late seventies when you find start to really get attached yeah. to what's on the radio because we're growing, we're mature enough to actually. And understand yeah, and, and you're living through you're living through yeah. the music like it is your life in this in an odd right. way you connect in such a way where you are the music it's it's and that does change you know and it and it, it it i don't know if it stops but it slows down significantly um but you're right there's this life altering period that we all, we all go through with music and that it, it it gets so embedded in us and becomes the soundtrack of our lives if you will that we can't, there's nothing we can do about it. It's just, it's, that's what it is. Right. And we gravitate to what we gravitate and we like what we like. Mm -hmm. And it stays with us, for sure. And that's the, you're right, that's the database. You know, whether any, I, I guess any record now, thinking about it, that I've produced and written, you could harken back, it, it could draw back to, a, point back to a, a, some 80s, I could probably point them all, all back to some 80s records, some, some, something I was going for, something that maybe was subconscious that was there it's it's i think and that's what we were talking about earlier like the the rapper you were talking about the hip-hop artist who doesn't want to listen to anything well then you're limiting that database mm -hmm. you know where what happens if you know mariah carey calls you in the room tomorrow and wants you to do you know some something like that's grandmaster flash the mess or like it, she might say something or an artist might say something like oh, i want something like you know, Kid Rock, or like, where are you going to pull it from? Like, you right. you want that database as as large as it can be, 
You know, I, I would think mm -hmm. at least. Well, so I think it's so great about Questlove, who's the drummer for the Roots. He's also Jimmy Fallon's drummer on the Tonight Show. And a DJ, and he's, yeah. like, he's got such a database. It's like massive. And it helped. His father was in the music business, and then he, uh, it, he put something up on. He's great to follow on Instagram because he has this whole history of R and B yeah, and yeah. hip hop. And very knowledgeable. He put a dude. big thing up yesterday, the day before, about some uh, uh, early hip hop track that I didn't really know about and but it made me want to go listen to it but he knows and he's written books about it but his internal database is huge and he but he's made a career out of it as a musician as a uh as a dj and that's why when he plays he could go so many different directions he could play funk he could play rock he could play anything because he's got that he draw you got to draw from something and he does and i've and i've talked to you you know separately about this in the past about what you can draw from it because we've played music musically together and you said you know recently or in the past year you've tried to do some more gospel yeah, yeah, yeah. type stuff just because of the chords and because it's yeah. just a unique yeah, type totally. of music i'll try to like you know get some ragtime stuff like anything i could find piano wise and instrument wise that i could drop why not it's like mm -hmm. just put it in there you don't know when it's going to pop out you know you listen to a uh a track like you know meatloaf and then i i was a i was i was able to find just the uh the meatloaf song um um uh what's the the, the long one the uh, paradise yeah, paradise by the dashboard Light. i was able to find just the piano track to it and i never realized listening to the piano track how jerry lee lewis it was, was it's a very 50s i never heard style that before like, yeah. until like until like he separated it and I was like, oh, he's straight up on some Jerry Lee. I think Tyler yeah. maybe played on it. He's straight up on some Jerry Lee. So he's drawn from that. Like yeah. He put it into this modern-day rock, you know, you know, song of that time. And I'm like, how cool is that? Like, yeah. you're, just, you're just taking from here and putting it over here. And at that time, if you're thinking 1978, 77, when that came out, and he's going back only 20 years to 57, you know, 56, right. the Jerry Lee Lewis era. Right. And, then, uh, and, and at that time, you hear that record, and you're like, oh, my God, this is, like, the newest shit I've ever heard. Like, this is blown up because it's so – oh, sorry. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is the newest thing I've ever – you right. know, I've heard in the, in the longest time. So it's like, you know, it's just – but you're just moving pieces from here to there, and you're putting mm -hmm. your spin on it. Yeah. And Bad Out of Heck was uh, <laughs> one of the uh, – are you going to get fined big, for the curse? You, you'd get fined. Uh, yeah. I, I would the, not, actually. I'd get embraced. You'd get fined because I'm, I'm treated. I'm royalty. Send me the uh, complaints. <laughs> but we're, we're uh, at 60 seconds before we need to end the show. Uh, so this has been a quick, pretty quick two hour. And so we didn't get, we got through one, don't two, Don't do three, it. Four. Don't leave me. But I'm glad we picked what we did because uh, there's a handful right, of songs. All right, I'll come back. You didn't ask me. Yeah, we'll have to do okay. this uh, every every week. We'll do two hours with Rob Fusari until he, yeah. we run out of database. So we've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. We want to thank Ashley Veltner for thank doing all that she did. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for bringing the hair. Thank you, Robbie Fusari, for being here very hey, much. Who are. And you're here because go on April 6, 2018, too. I want my ladies. Come on out. I want my 80s, the best of MTV's ladies. Come on out. Say hello. Put and, on stage, maybe. And what are you doing with Taylor Dane? Taylor On, uh, besides her coming, you're 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 producing some tracks. Yeah, she's got the 30th anniversary of her her biggest record uh, coming out, and I'm remixing some of those tunes uh, to kind of give them an updated spin. Mm -hmm. So uh, look for that too. Some some updated remix Taylor Dane stuff coming out. Very cool. And Taylor Dane had huge hits in the from '87 to '90. She had uh, some very big hits. So she's going to be here. Chris Butler, the waitresses. Yeah, Daryl McDaniels of DMC. Yeah. Mark Goodman, original MTV VJ. Oh, my man, Mark. <laughs> Lori Majeski. Oh boy, what's going on? Oh, sorry. <laughs> and uh, 
student band called Sweet Dreams. So we appreciate it. So we'll be back with a live, another live show on March 21st next week. And we may actually have Taylor Dane on next week. So we're waiting for a final confirmation of that on the radio show. And then um, until then, I want to thank you for listening. My name is Professor David Kirk. Phil, for Dr. Esteban Marconi, Robbie Fusari, Ashley Veltner. At the end of every show, we don't say hello. That would be silly because the show's over. So what do you think we say? You know what we say? I'll tell you what we say. We say, Of it.